Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu, and I'm joined in studio by Blake Murphy on a Tuesday. Producer? Blake Murphy! What's up, Sam? What's going on, buddy? I know I'm you are uh, trying to answer that question you asked me off air. And I asked I, you a super obscure question. I don't have my logins to a lot of the places I was writing at that time. Really? So I don't know an efficient way to search this. They locked you out of uh, your Raps Republic. Well, no, not Raptors Republic. 2019, I was at The Athletic. Oh. So all my draft stuff would have been there. Right, 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 right. Hmm. Okay. Some other jabroni would have been doing Raptors Republic draft stuff at that point. Damn. Probably Adam McQueen or something like that. Shout out to UBC. Damn. All right. Um, Go to to the Raptors Republic live event. Are you going on on February 7th? I might be part of the and more. Oh, yeah. What a surprise. There. Well, it, the thing is, is it starts while I'm on the air. So I'm not yeah, going to be there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can book it to the Rivoli pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Are you on? Probably. Why not? Yeah. That's our team. We'll do it after hours of me, me, oh. you, and Alex. I mean, okay. Um, okay, what, what am I going to say? Okay, yeah, so the Raptors, big win last night. Um, you know, it was a bit of a strange experience just being on air right before the game and just being like, man, everything went poorly for the in the Hawks game and, like, you know, talking about en- effort and energy and practice and Nick Nurse is annoyed and, you know, the team itself just underperformed and, you know, all the guards did nothing and all this other stuff. And then they play probably their best game of the year in terms of just entertainment value, right? Finally winning in overtime. The Raptors had been winless in overtime before that. Go into MSG yet again and come out with a win yet again, winning by a score of 123 to 121 in overtime. Hotly contested game. So many storylines to come out of it. Um, you know, I, I think the the best part about that game was just watching for me, like the two guys this season who have um, you know, underperformed relative to expectations, and less so nowadays because these guys are turning it around. But I think early in the season when you were looking at it, it was Fred Van Bleet and Scotty Barnes. Both those two guys were excellent last night. Um, I believe I gave Scotty the first star, Fred the second star, but it was really a 1A, 1B situation. Let's start with now, Fred. I was to understand those two couldn't have good games at the same time and couldn't coexist. Or- yeah, I know. I know. All the, the wedge between them and, and the golden child comment, which is which is actually kind of funny in my opinion. But um, anyway, let, let's start with Fred, uh, who had a bounce back game. 33 points, 8 assists, uh, spurred the fourth quarter comeback push the Raptors were down 10 midway through the fourth quarter Fred drives through the lane for a tough uh layup in transition um kind of just eluded three guys and threw it up with his left and, and spun it off the glass then he had a driving setup to Scotty Barnes then he had a top of the floor three uh getting Quentin Grimes to jump uh and then stepping inside for a three and then a mid-range jumper right after that to tie the game in the last minute uh, wasn't as impactful in overtime, um, wasn't as involved in overtime, and also made a crucial blunder. But we'll, we'll just kind of excuse the blunder for now. Um, yeah, I mean, just a great game for Fred Van Vliet. Um, You know, before the game, he was actually ruled as questionable for it because of back issues. Obviously, he's been dealing with back spasms for the better part of, um, let's say, two weeks. But honestly, like we've two been... Two years? Yeah, it does feel like two years. It, it does come up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, just a great performance. Like what, what kind of factors do you think went into Fred having such a great night? 
Yeah, I think part of it is probably, you know, a guy who shoots a lot of three-point volume is going to have some ebbs and flows. I mean, he shot... I saw some people say he didn't shoot well yesterday. He shot five of thirteen. That's thirty-eight and a half percent on threes. I don't know. I don't know where the bar is. If not that, uh, I also think that um, you know Mitchell Robinson didn't have the best of defensive games, and that's normally you know the Knicks are supposed to be a tough matchup for the Raptors because they do do a really good job protecting the rim. Sure. Uh, yep. Mitchell Robinson not having the best of defensive games. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein was kind of not all that noticeable off the bench. Future Raptor Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, so that was that was part of it, but I just think you're starting to see the way these pieces can fit and, and the way they fit down the stretch last year when the Raptors turned it around. They turned it around much earlier last year, but we started to see, you know, Scotty take on a larger role and then OG's role kind of came down and then once Fred and Pascal were, were healthy, we kind of knew what this team was for for a decent stretch offensively. And I think some of it is we're starting to see that click now. Um I think that Scotty Barnes being used as a screener a lot more over the last couple of weeks has opened things up for Fred a little bit because he does have a, an extra option as a screening partner. Yep. And then also the Raptors have gotten, they've started to run a little bit more of the kind of three man Pascal, Scotty Fred thing mm-hmm. at the top of the floor where it doesn't really matter who's handling the ball because they can handle screen and slip in any combination. Right, right, And right. I think that those decisions have, those the decisions that that poses on a defense are difficult for size reasons and also because all three of those guys can score a little bit. Um, but honestly, at this point, Fred might be getting the least attention of those three, and that opens things up a little bit too. Um, mostly, I just think, you know, really good players are going to have good games even when they're struggling. But I do think there's a little bit of, the pieces are falling into place overdue really for, for these five, these five guys together. Cause they're at like 700 minutes played together now over the last two years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, I, I think for Fred, this is a bit of a pattern, right? Cause look, the Raptors have played the Knicks like three times now in the last three weeks or so. And he's had 28 the first time they beat the Knicks 28 in the time they lost against the Knicks. And now he's had 33. I mean, maybe he just likes the specific matchup. Obviously, well, him versus Brunson, there's like another small guy to attack. I don't but. even know. Well, yeah, I was going to go to the, hey, stop using this guy as a contract comp for me <laughs> side of it. I mean, Brunson is also giving it back to him. I yeah. mean, I would say overall, Fred has outplayed Brunson in these three matchups. But, but Brunson's been good. Brunson's, Brunson's been amazing, though. He's, season. he's tough as nails, man. I, I yeah. really like watching him play. Um, but Super yeah, terrified when he dribbled down in, in transition in overtime and pulled up for three. I yeah. thought he was going to make that. That would have been a true dagger on the season. And I think that that was the story of this one a little bit, too. You mentioned that Jalen Brunson has has had good games in those instances as well. I didn't think Fred played particularly well defensively yesterday, which has been uh, an issue over the last little bit. It's funny because he had a harder time guarding Brunson than he did guarding Randall. He Mm -hmm. got four stops against Randall. Oh, for three in terms of just like keep forcing him in the post to settle for turnaround jumpers, Kyle Lowry style. Yeah, I was going to say, remember, remember later career Kyle when I mean, not obviously Fred's not 35 yet. But, I don't know. His back is 35. But like, yeah, in those Sixers series, the championship yeah. year, it was like, no, 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 put Kyle on Tobias Harris. Like that made yeah. the most sense yeah, yeah, yeah. as a matchup. So, yeah. um, I mean, there's something to that. And again, this is what goes into the defensive versatility that this team wants and, and trumpets is that if there's a guard who's too quick for Fred Van Vliet or, or his point of attack defense isn't there that mm. game, someone else can take that mantle on it. And Brunson eventually, I mean, he shot 11 of 29. It felt like he was a little better than that. He he went cold in like the important moments. Like mm-hmm. he had a chance to 
to take the lead uh, at the end of regulation, and mm-hmm. he missed it. And then obviously the, the chance at the end of the game in overtime, he missed it. Yeah, but, um, you know, Randall and Brunson, if they combine for 47 points on like 55, 62 used possessions, mm-hmm. you're really happy with that. Really, yeah, it was yeah, only the RJ side of things that that got away from them. Anyway, so I, I think Fred played well offensively. I think, yeah, the, the Brunson thing is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um ironically we might be in a spot here where the guys fred is best against offensively are also the guys he struggles with defensively yeah which you know that's that's not something you can't manage around but it at least over the last little sample looks that way Mm -hmm. just something worth monitoring as we see a couple different point guard types this next little bit yeah for sure because you know over the course and the balance of the game it was mostly fred guarding brunson and i thought brunson was able to get at fred just like fred was able to get at brunson but later on in the games when you notice some of the key possessions like that last possession and uh for the knicks offensively in regulation and also the one in overtime it was og switching on and the Raptors purposely having OG at the top of the floor to switch on to some of those matchups. Um, good game for Fred, though. Really good game. Um, just honestly, I'm, I'm looking at the chat. It's still a lot of people being like, let's trade Fred right now. And I get it. Totally, we'll get it. We'll, we'll get we'll to get that portion. We'll get the trade stuff later. We have a whole second segment just on trades right now. This, also, this we have like three weeks, though. We, we've got, yeah. what, 24th? Yeah, we'll have three more Blake Murphy Tuesdays to do trade stuff yeah. if we need to. Listen, what, what, what And then what, I'd what, imagine what, you're doing like some sort of deadline live show, right? Yeah, of course. Um you know, actually, I got to discuss that with Dan Tillman. But oops, <laughs> the the bigger thing is just like he played well. Player plays well for the Raptors. We t- we we cover the topic. Uh, another player who played fantastic for the Raptors last night, Scotty Barnes, uh, really emerged down the stretch. I thought he was pretty good throughout the course of the game as well. Um, much more noticeably engaged because he had some really quiet nights against New York recently. Right, he had like a two for ten shooting performance and a one of ten shooting performance. Like it just wasn't like Scotty. You know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. was. Sure, he played, and he probably just had a hard time finding places to get involved, but it didn't feel like he really was unlocked in that way. And then, obviously, last night, we saw how impactful Scotty was throughout the course of the game. Um, down the stretch, it was interesting to me that the Raptors put the ball in Scotty Barnes's hands way more than they did in Fred's hands or Pascal Siakam's hands. Um, so I, I want to start there. Why do you think that is? Well, I think one of it is, and this is tiny, tiny samples, but Scotty's been pretty ridiculous in the clutch. He's been really good in these tight game situations offensively. Um, You know, part of that is probably like if we were going to try to make conclusions from that, we'd probably have to adjust for the fact that he's just generally been better as games go along offensively. I think that at least lately that that's pretty accurate. Um, So that's part of it. He shot incredibly well. I think among the qualified players, he has the third best field goal percentage in clutch situations this year in the league. So that's part of it. I also think just that's what was working to help them come back. And I know the comeback in the fourth was mostly defense fueled, um, but Scotty Barnes has done a pretty good job limiting the, limiting the, the more careless turnovers like the one, like he's going to turn the ball over because you want him making those insane passes that he yeah, made yeah. a whole bunch of yesterday. Um, but you also, you know, want him to be careful with the ball in big spots. And he's done a good job of that. I also think just again, going back to what their options are in terms of running action, if the ball's in Scotty Barnes's hands, that means Fred Van Bleed is off the ball. That means OG and Gary are likely in the corners and you know, whether Fred is screening for Barnes or doing a stack action with Siakam or whatever, um, there is a gravity there and a floor balance with Trent and OG in the corners that you don't get quite as well if you're, you know, we, we saw them early in the year, they spam the Pascal with the ball, Fred is the screener as their mm-hmm. crunch time play. Yep. 
and that's a really effective play, but usually you're either then putting Scotty in the dunker spot where he's effective, but you limit your spacing and your ability to drive off of that pick and roll. Um, that's why, you know, that was most effective when Fred would slip the screen for, for a pop out three, um, or you put Scotty in a corner and then you have to lift one of Gary or OG out of the corner. And that's fine. Um, but it kind of neutralizes Scotty's strengths, mm-hmm. putting him in the corner. That's not where you want. So I think it's just, you know, as they continue to find the right mix of the guy's strengths and weaknesses and, and how to how to set things up for for those possessions. Um, and then again, yeah, like there there is also an element in these situations of just rolling with what has felt most comfortable during the game. And I thought that the offense overall looked best with, I mean, probably best with the ball in Pascal's hands. He did almost have a triple-double, um, but they were really comfortable with Scotty initiating, so yeah. roll with it. No, it was interesting because, um, you know, both the the Knicks and the Raptors, I thought, changed up their defensive assignments. Again, like, when you play a team three times in three weeks, like... And they you, play them again on the weekend. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're going to have to change it up. You might see it change up again on Sunday. Um, but uh, in previous matchups, for the Raptors' side, they put OG on Randall, right? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, like, the primary assignment. To be honest, that's how they've been guarding the Knicks for the last two, three years mm-hmm. that they've been playing him. Um, this time, they put Scotty on Randall for the majority of the game, and it worked really well. I like that. And like, yeah. and again, we don't need to get into the center versus point guard position stuff or whatever, but yeah. Scotty's biggest strength right now defensively is A, that he's really strong, mm-hmm. and B, that he uses his size really well beyond the strength, right? Like, right. He, he's good at cutting off angles for guys and kind of just like, presenting a big figures that guys can't shoot over or do up and unders against or whatever. He is better at that element of the game than he is, you know, point of attack chasing through screens and stuff at this stage. So I think a guy like Randall, you know, we talked about this after the Philly game where he started the game on Embiid and that's obviously a a size mismatch, but given the other options there, that's maybe best for what Scotty's really good at right now defensively. And I, I think, you know, anytime you can free OG up to guard a more perimeter oriented guy, especially when Fred is having a, a rough defensive couple games or whatever, um, you you want to do that. And Scotty being good with the the Randall types is certainly going to open that up. Yeah, no, I, and you know that was a big defensive adjustment uh, on the other front for the Raptors. Um, Pascal has been largely guarded by Randall in a lot of these games, or even RJ Barrett. We've seen yesterday that the Knicks put Mitchell Robinson on Pascal and kind of sag back off of him, right? And obviously, you always want Robinson protecting the basket. And the one of the ways you beat that is obviously just with the jump shot. Unfortunately, Pascal went 0 for 7 from 3. And even though he made a couple of mid-range jump shots, that's not ultimately what's going to break a defense. You're really going to need to take down those threes. And And he settled in just shy of 33% this year, which is about where he is for his career now. Like, I I think, obviously, if he were a lesser player and he was just standing in the corner Mm -hmm. shooting catch-and-shoot threes, he's he's better than a 33% shooter. Um, But I think given his shot diet and his role in the offense, like, we can pretty confidently say at this point he's a 32.5 to 34.5% three-point shooter. Right. Um, So if you're the Knicks, that gamble makes sense, right? Like, you keep Mitchell Robinson out of those tough pick-and-roll decisions if it's Pascal Scotty, if it's Pascal Fred, whatever. Um, And, yeah, I mean, Pascal's going to have better nights than that. He still shot 7 to 12 inside the arc and got to the free-throw line and, um, again, nine assists. So um, I I think the Knicks, it makes sense to try that because – what happened last time was you left Randall on him too long, and then you look up and Pascal's got 50-plus. Uh, well. um, 
So yeah, yeah. try something different. If a guy hung fifty on me, I'd try something different next game. Oh, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and maybe that was part of it, right? Is is you know teams yeah. are starting to be like, well, turn Pascal into a point guard. Well, like make him pass. What's interesting to me is also because I'm thinking about it because essentially the opposing team, like your decision as a coach, is like, okay, where am I going to put my center on? Is it going to be on Scotty or is it going to be on Pascal? Mm-hmm. Right? You probably not going to put your center on OG because obviously he's going to be shooting from three. Yeah. So you probably want to put it on one of those two guys and. Obviously, there was a long stretch there where the center was on Scotty, right? Sort of matching like for like when Scotty was playing five, the opposing center is guarding him. This but- is also, by the way, sorry to cut you off. This is the issue with when the Raptors have had injuries. Mm-hmm. It makes everything so much easier for the defensive team because there's always a spot you can stick a guy, right? Like right. you're not worried about Wancho outside the same way you are with OG. You're not worried about Christian Coloco on the glass the same way you are about Scotty Barnes, etc. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think... You know, um, for a long stretch there, for like two, three weeks, the opposing team was just putting the center on Scotty. And I think the Raptors, and we definitely talked about it a ton on this show, because obviously it's daily and we literally cover every game like this, but it was like the Raptors kind of figured out how to attack that to the point where it felt like teams started changing up sort of their defensive assignments. I think the last two games, even watching like, for example, on Yaka Kong who was the opposing center. He was guarding Pascal and that one as well. They kind of flipped that assignment around a little bit. But th- my point is, though, like that now uh, frees up Scotty to attack a smaller guy. And I thought that him going on RJ Barrett was a matchup that he liked, the matchup that the Raptors liked. He even gave a quote, which I, I mean, I don't even know why this was aggregated. This is just a standard postgame quote. This wasn't like dissing anybody or anything. He said, quote, I felt like with me being taller with my size, I was going to be able to get a good look at the rim every single time. That's Scotty Barnes about attacking R.J. Barrett, yeah. which is not to say he was dissing R.J. Barrett. It was just like that's how the game went. And I thought that down the stretch, especially when they ran loads of horns actions, all that kind of stuff, a lot of the plays, even though they didn't even run it that well outside of that little high-low feed to Pascal for the end one in overtime, they just had Scotty playing bully ball on R.J. Barrett. And the good thing with Scotty attacking is that, like, even when the, the the help defender comes, and Robinson was obviously helping off of Pascal quite a bit, when the help defender comes, Scotty's able to make the next passes out, right, where he's in the post, but he's able to make that next read, like to the corner for OG, like to the other one where he found OG, OG attacked the closeout, and then went back to him. Yeah. Like, or the one just kind of threw it like that on the move. I don't know. Yeah. He had one of those Jokic ones. And, like... Like, he's just very versatile is my point. And so you can play him at so many different roles. Like, I was watching the end of the game, and, like, he he played so many different roles for Mm -hmm. the Raptors. Like, there was plays where he was And that's why he's supposed to be so special. It's not – the specialness of Scotty Barnes was never advertised as, oh, he's going to be a 30 field goal attempt a game guy and get you 40, like, taking Kobe shots. No, it was like – this guy is an impossible, like the best version of Scotty is an impossible matchup mm-hmm. because he can do so many things. And yeah, you put a center on him and he beats him off the dribble. You put RJ on him and he goes into bully ball and kicks yeah, out. Exactly. Like he can work DHO, he can screen. Um, and like, I think a lot of this too, like we talk a lot about Scotty's usage changing because his role in the offense has shifted. He deserves a world of credit too for being really, really decisive in those changes. So I pulled some numbers. Okay. So, before December 20, this is before December 21st and after December 21st. Since that cutoff date, he has been getting about seven more front court touches per game. Okay. But his overall touch time and his dribbles per touch, so every time he gets the ball, are way down. Okay. So he is getting the ball more, but he's making quicker decisions. Two dribbles, pass. Two dribbles, handoff. Instead of three, four dribbles. And we're talking... You know, even in a face-up situation, we're talking three seconds handling the ball mm. instead of four seconds handling the ball. So I think that touch is going up and overall possession and dribbles 
going down mm -hmm. is a good sign of like, yeah, they're giving him more in part because you want to give him more, but in part because he's making such good, quick decisions and not letting the defense recover and stuff like that. And yeah, like long-term, you want him to eventually like face up the floor from the top and initiate one-on-one. -on -one. Like you want to sure, let yeah. him have some of those and see him grow in that, but that's not... Like, those aren't the situations where Scotty's going to best be able to leverage his passing, at least not until the Raptors have a more fruitful off-ball dynamic. Mm -hmm. They don't have that right now. When Scotty's passing really opens up is when he's either someone else creates an advantage and he gets the ball and he's just picking out from the chaos, yep. or he does the bully ball stuff because that's his, he has a better path to creating that initial advantage using his size and strength right now than he does just like blowing past a similar size defender. So right. I think he gets a ton of credit too for just, you know, the decisiveness he's played with in that role. And I'm sure it's been a little awkward to transition that role, but he's been, he's been awesome in it. No, I, I think every interview that you've heard him speak about this new role, about the position change, he's been very overwhelmingly positive about it. Um, he's spoken about sort of different ways that he can attack it. And I think that, look, first off, it's it's really good coaching from the coaching staff um, to to invent sort of new roles for Scotty to make him successful. I think I don't think anyone's complained about any sort of Scotty performance in the last, like, three, four weeks, which has been really strong, obviously. Also, he, like, like, borderline saved the game with the offensive rebound yesterday. Oh, too. not just borderline. He fully saved the yeah, game. Right? Like and then was, he ran the show in overtime, too. Yeah, so. and I know what the thing – by the way, I got asked about this a couple of times, yeah. the quick pull-up three – in that situation, I think the idea was like in a situation like that where you say, I forget the exact time, but say you have 18 seconds. Yeah. The idea is get the shot off by 12 so that if you miss, you can get an offensive rebound or play the foul game. But once the clock passes a certain point, say 12 seconds, then you're holding for last shot. So you're talking about with the Raptors down, I think. I think they were down one or one, two. One or two, whatever it was. In regulation. The Fred, the the Fred, Fred three yeah. that, that Scotty I mean, got that the offensive rebound. That was a very well-run play. Yeah. The Raptors I got, mean, got Fred just, an open look yeah. off of two screens. I got a lot of questions about how early it was, though, in the clock. Of course I you want to shoot that early because you're only down one. Even if you play the intentional fouling game, you had the time. Right. And you get the offensive rebound. Yeah. So. so that's all I wanted yeah, to, no, that's to fair. clarify because I did get asked about it a couple times. That's fair. Um, but, yeah, I think overall with Scotty, like, I think the coaching staff has put him in a position to highlight his uh, his strengths right now. His strength isn't to beat a guy off the perimeter at the moment. The strength is to impact the paint. And it's sort of just like how do you get him to impact the paint? Sometimes right now you just station him in either as a screener or you have him, like, set up in the post or at the elbow. You catch the ball in, in a horns action, and then you're able to then get him to touch the paint. Once he touches the paint, super effective, both as a finisher, both as a passer. We've seen all that stuff. Um, I, I love the way he attacked the offensive glass yesterday too. And I think just overall, like this is stuff that's going to ha probably happen year after year with Scotty because he's so versatile. He's not like a guy like Gary Trent Jr. where you know exactly what he is and you can know exactly how to make a shooter like that successful. You put him near the ball, you put him in the corner, you know, you driving kick, he's he's the option there. Like that stuff is easy to figure out, I think, as a player. But I think with Scotty, because he can play so many different roles, we're probably going to see like year after year, this sort of cycle happened to, to a lesser degree as he sort of matures and continues to add to his skill set. But and depending on what the roster impressive. is around him, right? Like yeah, one of yeah, the sure. one of the great things about Kyle Lowry over the years was his ability to shift his role based on who was around him on the right, team and right. what those guys needed to succeed. And that's part of being a really dynamic player like Scotty is and a, and a smart player like Scotty is. Is yeah, there might be you know the next the next guy who comes in might be someone who needs the ball a little bit more to be successful. Like, like I know there's been some negativity around Fred Van Vliet. Let's say that 
you know, something shakes out where Terry Rozier ends up here and said, I'm, that's not going to happen, but let's pick that point guard type. Yeah, yeah. That guy needs the ball a ton. Yeah. And is not the catch and shoot guy. Well, Scotty's ability to play so well as a screener and a DHO and stuff like that makes him a better pair for that style of point guard. Right. The fact that he can face up and handle a little bit and find an off ball shooter lets him be an effective complement to a less on ball guard. Like, this is important for how the Raptors are going to build the roster from here. Because, yeah, if Scotty ends up being a superstar, you want to optimize the roster around Scotty, but you also just want to be able to get the best players you can. And if that requires you tweaking the system a little bit or tweaking roles a little bit, then you do that. And, yeah. and I think, you know, that's part of, again, when we talk about versatility, it's not just, you know, you can switch and pick and roll. It's it's all these things that go into versatility that allow you to be, if you're Messiah and Bobby and you're looking at your options for February 9th, you know, you can go in a couple different directions because, oh, if we go this way, then Scotty and Pascal can kind of shift into these roles. Or if right. you go this way, yeah. then their roles are this way. Like, so that's that's a part of this growth process too uh, as they, you know, not only figure out where Scotty's best right now, but try him a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, and look, just in the fourth quarter alone, because I made sure to go back and watch the fourth quarter and in overtime in, in depth in this one, just watching Scotty, because he, I think he played all of the fourth quarter and overtime. He had so many plays where, again, he would just change like his role offensively, defensively, game after, like possession after possession. Like there were plays where he was guarding quickly and Brunson at the top of the zone. He would cut off Brunson, force a turnover, then be the trailer in transition. Then he have a physical block out on Isaiah Hartenstein. Then you know he'd be in the dunker spot. Fred drives, shovel passes to Scotty. He fouls. He gets fouled on the uh, on the on the take. Then he's spot up in the corner off a of Fred drive for catch and shoot three. Then he's operating as the main ball handler in the horn Do you set. Have these in notes, you just remember all. No, this. no, I, I, okay. I wrote it down in notes. Don't okay. worry. Right, and then and he has well, you were making eye up. contact with me like the whole time. It's no, impressive. it's just like I'm just like. You can't even put a position on specifically what he's doing because no. he's also he's boxing out like a center. He's running the floor like a power forward. He's uh, you know driving at the opposing small forward and putting it onto the basket. And RJ Barrett, he's catching and shooting in the corner for three like a shooting guard, and he's handling and bringing the ball up for a lot of the possessions. So like I, I think that's the thing with him that was just like for me the takeaway was just this very special kid. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's sort of just about finding ways to sort of maximize him game to game. And to be honest, I, I know there's been a lot of conversations about this. To me, what was also cool was like the fact that. Fred and, and Pascal, like Fred was having a great game, didn't dominate the ball at the end, though. Just said, okay, you got it. This is the overtime period. You know what? I've had 33 points. I lean the team right now in scoring. You run the show right now. Pascal Siakam was like, look, I'm the guy who's obviously the best player on the team. You run the show right now. There was no, like, there was no sort of conflict or sort of anything like that. In fact, they got them involved in three-man actions with him having the ball. That's cool to me, man. There was, a there was game, no chemistry issue there. Yeah, I want to say it was the Brooklyn game that they lost by a couple points, and it was close down the stretch. I think that was the game. There was a game similar to that. If it wasn't that one, it was a game like that where Scotty had had a pretty bad game and Fred and Pascal were still like feeding him a lot down the stretch. And yep, then he yep. ended up with like a really strong game. It's like, oh, he's taking a KD. Oh, he's taking it at Royce O'Neal. Like guys who are tough to be taken against. And I think, yeah, that's, you know, the chemistry side of things ebbs and flows. But I don't think at any point have... Fred and Pascal really like lost the faith in like if Scotty's on the floor late, mm. they're going to use Scotty the way Scotty, like the way the coaching staff wants to use Scotty because that's your path to winning. Right. And this is the thing too, is like, like through all of this, like, yeah, big picture, the way you set up the org, the way you design your rotations and stuff like that. Like some of it will have longer term goals in mind. When you get into the fourth quarter of a close game, all that stuff goes out the window, right? Like every one oh, yeah. of those guys and the coaching staff just want to win. So a lot of the time what they're doing is just what they think is going to win them the game. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's. I think it says a lot that Scotty's been such a big factor in a lot of fourth quarters for them too. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we see it again uh, today. We he definitely had a big fourth quarter last time the Raptors played Milwaukee. But uh, anyway, we're gonna take a quick break right here. I've been your host Will Lou. That's Blake Murphy. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connect Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. I continue to be joined by Blake Murphy, who is searching frantically if the Toronto Raptors did indeed work out Jalen McDaniels back in uh, 2019 because there is some potential relevance on that front. So, look, obviously, this is that time of the season where everyone's looking for trade rumors. I saw that uh, in our recap of this game, I'm looking at the live chat. Everyone's just saying, let's just talk about trades. Okay, let's get to the fantasy portion of, of, of basketball rather than the exciting game that happened last night. What um, I'm laughing at, to be clear, is I'm yeah. going back through my 2019 articles trying to find my draft stuff. And first of all, the Raptors only had the number 59 pick that year. Yep. So I was obviously not writing a lot of draft stuff during the championship. But right after the draft, and I'm scrolling back reverse chronologically. So it's like Raptors signed Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Raptors signed Stanley Johnson. Get to know new Raptors sharpshooter Matt Thomas. Kawhi leaves. Yeah, it's like oh, what what a tilt that was. <laughs> Stanley Rondé and Matt Thomas uh, after Kawhi left. I, I know there was never going to be a Plan B, quote unquote, if Kawhi were to leave in 2019, which obviously he did. But the fact that like we got the alert of Kawhi's going to the Clippers, um, and then the next like transaction for the Raptors was the Raptors signed Stanley Johnson to a two year deal. I was like, damn, that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> nothing it's nothing hits faster than reality man that that was tough okay look listen uh for more relevant um you know trade stuff so we we got two trade columns that dropped today in regards to the toronto raptors one is from sham sharania obviously of the athletic and obviously another one from jake fisher of yahoo sports uh let's start with the shams report um so a couple of pieces of of, of note in here i'll just get your quick thoughts on these because again there's a lot of this stuff so first note is that the Suns and magic have emerged as free agent suitors for fred van vliet sources tell shams um not not a surprise i feel like we've heard some of these teams in the past linked before I don't see how the Suns could really pull that off. As you mentioned, the Suns have a lot of financial commitments tied up to some obviously yeah. big contract players. 131 committed to five players. Now, half of Chris Paul's deal is not guaranteed, roughly. Are they going to drop Chris Paul? Well, that's the thing. And no, they're not. And uh, then also the NBA closed the loophole that used to exist where you could trade Chris Paul, who's only owed $13 million, and it's $30 million for salary matching, mm. but they closed that loophole. So okay. now he only counts, like say say Fred got 25 yeah. in a deal, and they want to sign and trade him for Chris Paul. Say you would have to guarantee $20 million of Chris Paul's deal right. to make that work. Right. Um, the Suns, 
have always liked Fred, though. Like, yep. they were the number one suitor for him outside of Toronto in 2018 when he was a restricted free agent. Mm. Um, that was the year that Fred ended up signing two years at the most he could sign two years for. Yep. But there was the potential for a team to come through and kind of use that. Um, who was it that signed one before? Anyway, Omar Ashik, I think, signed one. Oh, uh, like the poison uh, pill? The, uh, well, yeah, the poison pill slash Gilbert Arenas provision where okay, you go right, two right, right. years at like $9 million and then two years with a huge salary at the back end. Yeah. Um, but Phoenix and Tyler up, Johnson also signed one of those? Something like yeah. that, yeah. Or he got 450 Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, Alan Crabb. Yeah. The Nets were going nuts that year. I don't know what they were saying. The Nets, those. the only team to ever sign <laughs> players to offer sheets, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Um, no, anyway, so um, Phoenix was very interested then. They've, yeah. all, they've really liked him. I know there have been some front office changes and stuff, but they clearly, whatever pieces have stayed, like him. Um, it's a little hard to see, though, a, because I don't know, we know Fred a little bit and like the, you could have had me in 2018 way cheaper and now you want me at full freight. Like, I don't know, w w would that push the price up at all? Uh, but mostly the Suns just don't have a, a path to do that without. This is a literal case of price of the brick going up. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Fred. Without the Raptors being willing to take back a DeAndre Ayton type. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, maybe would you? Would you take DeAndre Aiden essentially for in a sign and trade right now, or or in a straight up trade right now? I mean, he makes the max. I wouldn't. Raptors were linked. I, I wouldn't love it. Like he's got after this year, he's got three years at over a hundred million left. Yeah, and he's not a particularly great fit with what they do. But look, if Fred said, "Hey, I'm I'm out." Mm -hmm. You kind of have to look at options like that because I have a piece coming to Sportsnet.ca tomorrow. I think um, that looks at. All the it's the the annual trade deadline primer yeah. of like here's what you're allowed to do and what you're not. But one of the things I look at is the future cap situation. And if this is what makes any Fred or Gary trade pretty difficult is even if say Gary, Fred, and Otto all decline their player options and walked away, mm -hmm. and you traded your first round pick, right? Then you're getting to you have max cap space for one of the younger max guys, but not the full veteran max guy. Mm -hmm. So even in that scenario where your roster is completely thinned out, you're not a huge, huge free agent player. So if one of Gary or Fred leave and you get nothing back, you have very little path to replace them. Right. You're talking about mid-level exceptions, which have gotten you Aaron Baines and Otto Porter in the last couple of years, yeah, right? Like that's I'm not. Good. So I, I do think that if they trade Gary Trent and or Fred Van Vliet, yeah, picks are nice, mm -hmm. extra lotto balls, whatever, but they're going to need to prioritize guys who can be on this roster beyond this year. Even right. if it's a Norman Powell for Gary Trent type where it's like, hey, we know this guy's a free agent, but he's going to be way cheaper and we'll have bird rights on him um, because, yeah, if, if Fred and or Gary are out, you don't have a clear path to replacing them. So that's when an Aiton thing becomes a little more interesting as a like, well, it's better than nothing kind of thing. Sure. Um, the magic side of it, I mean, I, I could see the magic kind of going for this yeah. in the offseason. I think they probably have a, a, a more clear path towards sort of getting that done. Obviously, they need some veterans and they need guards. What's up? You willing to buy low on, on Jalen Suggs? There's no Scotty, oh, there's no Scotty or Jalen Suggs decision. You just put I them together. I don't think they need to give them up. I think they could just sign them, can't they? Like, who are the Magic even paying these days? Oh, I know. I'm, I'm yeah. just saying. So they have 110 committed for next year, but okay. a lot of that is tied up in, like, partial guarantees and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're, they don't pay anyone more than, what's the most 
anyone has guaranteed for them next year is thirteen point one million. Who's that? Wendell Carter Jr. Okay. Because yeah. even Isaac and Fultz only have partial guarantees. Yeah, they they should only have partial guarantees. Yeah. They they play half the games. And Gary Harris only has a partial. Terrence Ross is a free agent. Yeah. And then you're talking about even okay. Mobamba only has a is a non guaranteed for next year. Mm. That, that that one makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, this one makes no sense to me at all. So we're just gonna quickly go over it. Uh, Shams also adds that the Raptors are one of a few teams, uh, including the Lakers, the Pelicans, Bucks, Cavs, and Mavs, registering interest in Boyan Bogdanovich. He's 34. I mean, sure, he shoots and he could come off the bench and be a nice bench piece, but no, we're not we're not gonna go there. He's uh, also uh, they they paid him a lot of money. Sure. Like he's owed. He has next year at twenty million, and then the year after that, at nineteen million, partially guaranteed. Like that's a lot for yeah. a guy that's that far along. I, I will say, when he was uh, an expiring deal that was potentially moving mm. in all that Utah, well, the Raptors were linked to to, to Bojan in the in the offseason. Like him a lot yeah. as a player. Really hard to make the cap math work on that in a way yeah. that makes sense. I, I agree. Um, and then, yeah, Raptors and Celtics have significant interest in trading for Jakob Proto. We've heard Jakob Proto linked to the Raptors over. This is the new Raptors linked to Kenneth Fareed. <laughs> Man, Raptors are linked to Kenneth Fareed for years. Yeah. Proto, um, uh, unrestricted free agent after the season. So getting his bird rights would be nice. Yeah, yeah for because sure. Because then you don't have to worry about carving How much do you think Jakob's going to make next year? Well, according to that, $20 million. I think that's high. It's a lie. JV it's a high. has been making exactly fifteen million for like a decade right now. Right. I feel like if Pirtle gets that, he's kind gonna of, get some like inflation, yeah, <laughs> like proof kind of things in yeah. his contract. Man, I come on, if, you can't just be fifteen all the time. I think if Pirtle were to get a JV type deal, like four sixty, yeah, I think he could be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, JV fourteen point four, fifteen point four, sixteen point five, sixteen fifteen, fourteen. 14.7, 15.4. That dude just makes 15 yeah. million. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, he, he's he's definitely a good piece. Yeah, you know what? Uh, 15 million eight times adds up real quick. Yeah, actually, I I wouldn't mind that contract either. Um, okay. Well, well so here's here's my question for you with Jakob. Like, obviously, the bird rights would be nice. So you have to think of this as doing your offseason shopping a little early because it's not about yes, getting yeah. Jakob for the rest of this year. No, it's, it's about it's, the fact that it's you, like what they did with Norman. And yeah, Gary. you yeah. don't have to clear cap space this summer to sign him or to re-sign him in that case because you have his bird rights. But is that worth a first-round pick for you for a team that's looking to the future right now? If the Raptors were five or six games over 500 right now instead of like four games under, then yeah, you have that conversation. So if they were a completely different team? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they also lost a ton of close games. You they know, did, like, but did you see but, my Twitter thread yesterday? No, what would you say? With, like, the low leverage stuff? No. It's like, so, okay, so I, I broke the Raptors' performance down by basically how close they were in a game, not just by points, but, like, win probability. Yeah. And in low leverage situations when the game's out of hand, yeah. they're, like, a plus 26 net rating. Of course. And they, then in, the every, the in every other situation, they're, like, minus two net rating. Uh -huh. So, basically, yeah. yeah, they have played a lot of close games. And I know sometimes those comebacks, like, the last time they played Milwaukee – that fake comeback at least forced overtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that their overall metrics are a little friendlier than they maybe should be That's because fair. of the fake comebacks. That's fair. Okay. Um the next trade report, this one comes from Jake Fisher of Yahoo. Um wait, you didn't answer my question though. Would you give up a first for basically for Pirtle's bird rights? Not right now, no. Not not this year's first. Just because I'm just a little too worried about where the Raptors are gonna be. Could also revisit in the summer as a sign and trade. You could. You can also look at it like, okay, maybe if you're like, for example, you're really bullish on the, on this season. You might just say, look, we'll, we'll lottery protect this pick for, like, the next three years. Mm -hmm. 
in the look you even if the Raptors like tank this year you will obviously still be able to keep that pick mm-hmm. um and then I suppose you can then re-sign Jacoperto and then go and be competitive and you give up a non-lottery pick which I don't think that would be the worst thing yeah. for the future but yeah I, I just this year no I mean you would definitely have to lottery protect this thing at the very minimum if you were going to do it next one from uh from Jake Fisher so uh a couple notes here one note actually I thought was really funny was um you know, it appears clear that the Raptors, who have been reluctant to ante in recent seasons, won't choose to stay silent before the February 9th trade deadline. Um, quote, they've told teams they're going to do something, said an assistant general manager, which is so funny because <laughs> I could definitely imagine Bobby being like, they're like, hey, Bobby, can we get a can we get, you know, Fred or OG or or, or, or Gary or Pascal or whoever? And then. <laughs> And Bobby just be like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do something. And then if they stand pat at the deadline, this assistant manager will be like, Bobby, you said you were going to do something. He's like, yeah, we signed Joe Wieskamp to two ten days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, that's the that's big news today. That yeah. Joe Wieskamp, once again, getting another 10-day look. Um, sure. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So that, that's, the, that's the one thing. The other thing is, uh, this is not a surprise, but Toronto is only expected to seriously listen to offers for Gary Trent Jr., sources said. Uh, you know, yeah, the, basically – Teams expect the Raptors to to trade for him or, or trade him. Um, the bigger thing is just that you know Trent is looking for upwards of twenty five million per year in annual uh, average value before uh, next season begins. Obviously, he has a player option. He's going to opt out. Uh, he's going to look for that twenty five million figure, which is something I essentially ballparked last week. It's pretty f- standard for a guy with his skill set. And yeah, if, if the Raptors aren't essentially willing to pay him that amount. You got to look to to trade him right now. Yeah, right now, because he, as a sign and trade piece, is not going to have, like, you would get something back, but not a ton. Like, there are going to be enough teams with cap space who are young enough to be like, you know what, Gary Trent Jr., that fits. And even if it doesn't work out, that's like anyone who shoots that way is always tradable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the NBA, every contract's tradable. Uh, but, yeah, like like someone will give him that money. So yeah, I think that's that's the most pressing one. And I felt pretty much all year long that wherever Fred's value was, Gary Trent Jr. being traded was far likelier because yeah. that is like you could go to the summer with Fred and not a hundred percent know how that's gonna play out and be confident that either you're gonna resign him to a fair number or sign and trade him or whatever. With Gary Trent, I think there's a much higher risk that he just walks away and you have nothing. So right. I I would be a little surprised if he's not dealt, honestly. And this isn't reporting. This is just, like, reading the situation. Yeah. It feels very much like the norm situation over again where they're going to flip him somewhere to get a roster player back that's going to be cheaper to re-sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, Jake Fisher notes that uh, one potential option is flipping him to Charlotte. You get back Jalen McDaniels. You also saw the report, I think, from Mark Stein that the Raptors are interested in Kelly Oubre, which made no sense. Except if Kelly Oubre is like kind of like salary filler in that kind of deal. Well, he'd have to be, right? Because yeah, you yeah. have to make the, the numbers work. Yeah. Um, I, McDaniels I, is interesting. Another 6-9-4. The Raptors is. could maybe, you know, add to their roster. Yeah, like he's not, he's not nothing. They're lacking those. You he's know? improved as a playmaker a lot this year. So when you talk okay. about like how he might fit dropped into this offensive dynamic, he shot 36% on threes and, and was even better last year on a small sample. So like I, I could see it. Um, I, I don't also, know. When the Raptors play the Hornets, the Raptors intentionally left them open like yeah. every single play. So. I also think he's a guy that like you could just sign this offseason in a situation where you don't need a ton of cap space. Like, mm-hmm. is that guy getting more than the mid-level? Probably not. Yeah, fair. So, fair. Um, and then the Ubre thing, like, yeah, like Ubre would have to be in it. Ubre or Mason Plumlee to make the, the math work. Those are both guys that some contending team will want one of those guys on an expiring deal. 
I, I just like the idea of an Ubre precious Chris Boucher bench rotation. It might be the most chaos you've ever seen on a basketball court. Yeah. Oh man, uh, dropping Ubre like Ubre replacing Gary Trent <laughs> as the like fashion guy too. Obviously, oh, Precious is the best dressed player on the oh, team. Man. But yeah, you would you would fill a lot of the Gary vibe stuff with Kelly Ubre. Um, I don't know. So that one. I don't really know why Charlotte would be that anyway. Again, they have the same kind of thing of like, well, you're doing your offseason work early, but they have a lot of cap space Yeah, this offseason, yeah, so they don't maybe need to. One team that stands out to me, I haven't heard this rumored anywhere, but, and I don't mean to do the thing that other people always do with Canadians and the Raptors, but mm. like Gary Trent Jr. to Minnesota makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Like they are in a spot where they have to keep trying. Right. And that's where he grew up as well. He grew up there. They could use an extra shooter. They have, they're a really top heavy salary team right now, but D'Angelo Russell's a free agent after the season. And if they don't want to re-sign D'Angelo Russell, Gary Trent maybe makes sense in there. Like Anthony Edwards becomes the point guard. The the true point guard Trent is more of the off ball guy um, instead of the Edwards Russell dynamic. And then the guy that I'd be trying to get back in that one is Jalen Noel who's having a bit of a down year, but same contract situation as McDaniels that you laid out, probably going to get, I don't know, eight to 10 million this off season, but that's a lot less than Gary Trent. I don't know. The Minnesota thing makes sense to me under the condition that like, Hey, it seems like the D'Angelo Russell pairing is maybe yeah. like, I don't know. It seems like he has a negative quote like every two weeks. Yeah. Um, I, I would need picks back in that one for the Raptors. I feel like I, I just, I don't know. That's not moving me that much. I, I It does suck to, to, to move Gary for some of these question marks. And yeah, then but the I mean like, this yeah. is this is where you're at, right? Like, it was the same with Norm. It was like, okay, Gary Trent, you know, 10, 12 teams were in on Norm. But Gary Trent had shown something in yeah. this league. And well, and was like yeah, like a the, decent contributor the other already. name that, like, I think it kind of flittered away. And, hey, this is encouraging for if they do do something with Charlotte. Like, I think until LaMelo got hurt that year, Charlotte was interested in Norm. Hmm. And Malik Monk was maybe the guy. Like, right. maybe it was okay. P.J. Washington. Um I can't recall, but I just, I know that the Hornets were in on Norm until like Lamelo got hurt, and gotcha. it was kind of like, oh, we're not going to make the playoffs. Um, and then last note before we get to uh, our Bet River segment is, yeah, the the, the Raptors, um, if they were to part for with OJ Anobi, it would take something of a Dejounte Murray package. And just for a reminder, there the the Spurs received uh, Gallinari and Jock Londale, who I think were both expirings. Essentially just salary filler. But the, the bulk of that trade was they got the Hornets 2023 first round pick, which is uh, lottery protected until 2025. So they're not going to get that pick. They're going to get two seconds. Uh, but they're going to get the Hawks first round pick unprotected in 2025. The Hawks first round pick unprotected in 2027. And the right to swap picks with Atlanta in 2026. So, um, yeah, would you... I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really see the Raptors making this type of move. I think you probably want to bring back more rotation players, but... Yeah, I mean, is this is this something that's moving you? Yeah, that's a move where that to me is a move you make if you are taking a big step back and trading a lot of pieces away. Yeah, like if you have eyes on contending next year or like being at least a, a good team next year, like you are not turning around and turning those assets into anything close to OG and an OP. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the point in when a guy's not in a, not a pending free agent. Like you could, you could sell me on, oh yeah, you get these picks back. And then like a year or two from now, you could use those picks on the next guy who becomes available. That makes sense. If you're kicking the can way down the line, if right. you want to be good next year, OG Ananobi is way more valuable than any of that stuff that you're getting back. So that's fair. Um, and they, by the way, they turned down the seventh overall pick, which was a, a certainty at the draft. 
um, this past draft. So are any of those picks going to be better than seven? I think is also a big question in mind here. But anyway, look, uh, we've run out of time to talk about trades, but we will talk about tonight's game. It's time for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. The line for tonight's game at Bet Rivers is uh, Bucks minus two and a half. Uh, big note here, Giannis is ruled out mm-hmm. for the game. He's missed the last three with uh, knee soreness. Giannis, Ibaka, and Middleton all out. Right, right. So, you know, look, the, the Raptors obviously playing the second half of back-to-back. The, the Bucks are as well, to be fair. Um, but I think they were home yesterday as well. So they're home right now. Less travel for them. But, uh, yeah, what, what do you like there? Yeah, I mean, the line has swung pretty significantly, as you'd expect. The Giannis news only came down a little before 2.30. Sure. So we've already seen a two-point swing. I could see that swinging even further toward the Raptors, who have, other than Delano Banton and Otto Porter, a clean sheet. The one thing that I'd probably look for, and I haven't looked at the line yet uh, because I forgot this was part of your show. They haven't had a Tuesday game, like, all season. That's fair. Um Bobby Portis has double doubles three of his last four games against the Raptors. And Mm. I think he's averaged like 13 and 10 last year and this year. He's basically been the guy for them when any, whenever anyone misses time, he steps into that role and takes on more. I think he had like 24, 12 and four yesterday or something like that. Um, and, Indiana, and, they don't really have a lot of like forwards. Yeah. We know the Raptors are susceptible on their own glass where Portis yeah. averaging almost three offensive rebounds a game. Like his offensive rebound rates over 10%. Uh, so I could see him eating on the glass, even if the Raptors uh, come out of this one with a win. That's fair. Um, yeah. I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to take the Raptors because this is a running meme. I'm always going to take the Raptors yeah. yesterday. Because I was sad about the game against Atlanta, I said, let's pick the Knicks. And so, you know, I've learned my lesson. Even though the Raptors are under 500, it's going to pick the Raptors. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, listen, this is a good opportunity for the Raptors if they want to continue to sort of, you know, get back into the winning column. And they have won four of the last five. It's a good chance right here. Giannis obviously missing is going to change in everything for Milwaukee. They're not a good half-court offense to begin with. And, yeah, if the Raptors come out with some intensity, um, you know, like they did against the Knicks, I think that would be enough. The real question is, will the Raptors come out with intensity? And uh, who knows? Also, uh, the Bucks, even without these guys, pretty good. All three of those guys sat yesterday, and they kicked the crap out of the Pacers. Yeah. Turns out TJ McConnell couldn't lead the Pacers to hey, victory. 29-5-9, though. Career night. He was going off, man. He was career going night. off. That must have been a lot of reverse layups. Javon Carter could not handle it. I, I suppose. All right, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blake, appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, you know, I hope you have a, a good rest of your day. I know you're going to be real busy. Yeah, I got my show at 5 and then a little Raptors pregame action. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to run home and watch the game or maybe watch it here. No, I'll run home and watch it. I, okay. ju- I usually have just enough time. Oh, fair enough. All right, well, uh, that does it for us today, though. I've been your host, Willu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks once again to Blake Murphy, our board producer, Derek Brendale, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with our YouTube stream, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. We are talking about one of the best franchises of the past decade.